Good to see you all here. I'm going to turn these lights on. We are continuing our series in Ephesians. If you want, open up to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 20 to 24 tonight. And remember the problem that Paul illuminated for us last week. We looked at verses 17 to 19, and Paul illuminated to us that our problem was more than just a behavioral one, that many times what we think is, I just need to stop doing things, I need to start doing things, and we think of it as a behavioral problem, but Paul really showed us that it was a thinking one. He insisted that we must no longer live in the, as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. It wasn't in the futility of their doing. It was the way they thought. That futility of thinking was something that darkened their what understanding. It made them unable to grasp what it was that God was doing. It was ignorance. Ignorance, again, is something that you're unaware of. You're unable to attain that. You, you don't recognize it because of the hardening of your heart. We talked about that. And these all have to do with, again, how they were thinking. And we won't change our behavior until we change the way we think. And our greatest threat is not our behavior, but it is our illusion or possibly even our delusion. It's the illusion that our indulgences offer a greater reward than God. It's the illusion that our happiness depends on satisfying those drives and those desires. And so that becomes our illusion, and we think that that is what we need to pursue after. And the answer isn't a closed mind. Actually, the answer is an open mind to Christ. And that's what we're going to be looking at here. We're going to look at how we need to change our thinking and we need to open it up to a bigger picture, an imagination that comes from learning Christ himself. And so let's read verses 20 to 24. That, however, is not the way of life you learned, the way we just talked about. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness." Paul seems to envisage just this dynamic where we are living a life based on who Jesus is. And it's kind of interesting because he says, however, this isn't the way of life you learned. And actually it means when you learned Christ, when you heard about Christ is not a correct translation. It's actually when you learned Christ, but you have to ask when did they learn Christ? How did they learn Christ? And he seems to imagine that the church has already learned something. It's like we're, we're seeing part two here of what was really happening. 
You already know this. Well, how did they know this? And no doubt they had learned this from the teachings of Jesus himself, from the gospels that maybe were, were being spread about, or if anything, the gospel message. Remember when it said, you know, we would preach the word. What the word was, was the gospel. They would preach what Christ said, what Christ did. And so the teaching that stresses what God wants and desires, it came from Jesus himself. And since we have the gospels and these teachings, we can see how he spoke regarding the heart, regarding the mind and the source, our heart being the source of that evil behavior, if you will. And Jesus said in Mark 7, 14, that it's what comes out of a person that defiles him, not what goes into them. And then he lists all kinds of things. He lists sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and foolishness. We, we would be right to assume that this is what Paul has in mind, because this is what Christ taught. And so when he talks to them, what you learned about Christ, what you learned, actually learned Christ himself, learned how he lived, learned who he was, learned how he affected the people around him and how his life was to be emulated, how it was to be imitated, how Jesus is our model. And and it's really important that we see that God is calling us to live like Jesus, And before you get into your mind like, oh no, I can't do that, that's the whole point of this book. You are already in this place. You just don't see it yet. You are already a child of God who has been sanctified, set apart. You are already in his favor. You already have a place where he has given you of himself. And so now what is necessary is for us to take hold of what has taken hold of us and stop living in the futility of our thinking and take what we learn in Christ, learn from Christ, what we learn by who Jesus is because who Jesus is is who we are supposed to be. See, what would happen if you recognized that you had the ability to help those around you? Maybe we would stop thinking we need help if we realized that we were actually able to help. And so many times we focus on our deficiencies we, we look at what we lack and we, we mourn over those things instead of looking at what we, what potential we have. And just like we did in the Strengths Finder where you would find those things that you're strong at and instead of trying to get better at the things you don't have interest or, or aren't really gifted in, What would happen if you took those things that you are gifted in and you really made a run for those things? What would happen if you realized where you were and you actually started utilizing what God has already given you to be a help and of service to those around you? You see, that's what it means to take these things, 
what we've learned, what we've heard, what we've seen in Christ, and we're taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Remember, there are, there are a few stories where Jesus would kind of take a little side route. He would go away maybe just for a break from the multitude, or maybe he would go away to set, him si- set aside some time where he could actually have devotion with God, a quiet place with the Lord. But one of the times when he went to Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? That's kind of how it says. Who, who do they say that I am? And they went on and they talked about all the things that they had heard. Well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're that prophet. And then he he pushed into that and looking at them, he asked them, what about you? Who do you say that I am? You see, I don't think that Jesus was concerned how people perceived him. But I think it was very important how his disciples perceived him. See, because if they thought he was one of the prophets, if they thought he was Elijah, if they thought he was John the Baptist, then he could not further what God had given him to do. And it would not help them if they thought he was anything less than the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You see, they needed to know the truth of who he was for themselves, not for Jesus' sake. Jesus wasn't saying, oh good, now you know who I am, I feel so much better. You see, it was because now you know who I am, the truth is going to change you. And that's what's supposed to happen. The the truth, when we grasp hold of it, it changes who we are. So what if the truth is that God has placed you in a position to be a blessing to the world because you know Christ? What if the truth is because you have the Christ, you are now children, you are now heirs, and that what the Father has belongs to you? How would that change us if we believe the truth about Jesus, because the truth about Jesus affects us. And that's really what he's pushing towards. Paul grasped the truth, and he has probably held it on or held to it more than anybody, the truth of what this means, that Christ is the Messiah, and the Messiah has been given to you. What does that mean to us? How does that affect our lives? What does that truth do? How does it transform us? See, back in the 80s, they started a different type of education. It was transformative, where there were different ways you could learn things. In fact, they wanted people to learn things in various ways because by learning different methods, it actually led to learning other things. Prior to that, it was very informative. Okay, you just get the information and it was conformative. You conform to these things. And it was necessary because there wasn't the ability to communicate like we do today. And and this style of teaching originated 
just hundreds of years ago, when they would send people across the continents, you know, over the oceans, they had to know that they were going to be able to think and communicate the same way they did. Because there was no phone to call and say, how's it going over there? Hey, there's some Indians over here. We never had Indians back over there. What should we do? Oh, I don't know. How do they do things? Oh, well, they do things a little. No, what they wanted to know is when we get over there, I want you to establish something so that when we get there, we can all function. So this is how we do it. We're going to inform you. We're going to conform to these things so that we have a society that we can adjust to. But now with the ability to communicate with the internet, internet, internet um, things have changed so much and there's so much more potential to learn quicker if you learn in a way that's transformative instead of just informative and conformative. And so now the one right answer that everyone has to recite is not working because there's too many different people. And sure, some things, two plus two always has to equal four, but some other things of how we are supposed to do things to get results, what well, depends on the people you're talking to, how they communicate, what, what are their rituals, the ways to motivate people changes depending on the people. And some of us learn that just on our kids, right? You have more than one kid and you want, this one you know, works well if you offer them money. You know, this, this one... Money means nothing. Nothing means nothing. You know, it, it depends. It, it, it depends on the people, and we have to now adapt to the world that we're living in. And Paul starts pushing into this area of where this truth needs to transform us. It needs to create something within us. And some of these terms that he starts to talk about here are, are very unusual, like that, learn Christ. You did not learn Christ in this way. This way refers to, again, the things we talked about last week, the futility of our mind and, and those things, the Gentiles who lived in that way, who were closed off to God, driven by just their desires. Paul contrasts that way of living with our current life in God, which is a transformed life is a, a changed life, which is a new life, as we're going to go on and see. We've been changed from what we were to who we are now. How have we been changed? Is it because we started acting different? No. We have been changed because Jesus, we've learned Christ, we've learned the Messiah, We've learned who he is, and that's what transforms who we are. You know, even as Jason was singing by grace and grace alone, I mean, the book of Ephesians speaks about that. We are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. And so we are transformed because we've learned Christ. That means we recognize who Jesus is and we recognize what that means to me. The fact that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that changes who I am because of who you are. We have been changed from who we were now to who we are because of Christ. And it's resulted in our 
kind of spiritual education. We have learned Christ. Jesus is the curriculum. Jesus is our Christian curriculum, if you will. Usually we learn subjects, not people, but in this case what we do is we learn Christ. He is the subject. And Christianity is Christ. Knowing him is the heart of it. It's not knowing about him, not knowing just the things he taught, knowing who he is, is vital to who we can be. Because if he is the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one of God, the savior of the world, then that's going to transform us. And so that's the truth that we are trying to learn. That's what we are trying to hold on to. And Paul says literally here that we have heard him, not just of him, and we have been taught him. What does that mean? Who he is is what matters to us. Have you ever seen someone who's affected by their friends when they're hanging around certain people? They start talking like those certain people. You know, if it's in a sports situation, pretty soon they start throwing out the sports lingo. If it's a music situation, they start throwing out the the music lingo. If it's a, a nerdy computer situation, they start talking in that way of talk, however that way is. You you start acting like the people you are. It, it automatically starts to affect you. In fact, it has more influence on you than what you will learn is how you interact with people will actually start to rub off on you. And it's kind of funny. I would see my kids and I would see them with some friends and I would see mannerisms in their friends and all of a sudden I see the mannerisms in them. And I'm like, hey, you got that from them. Sometimes they got it from TV, right? It's like, okay, we got to watch what you watch. Because they started acting like the people they hung around. And that's really what Paul is talking about. You learned Christ. You you hung out with him. You, you saw how he lived and who he was influenced who you are. Because the reality of who he is is what's transforming who we are, just as some of our friends might transform us. Have you ever had a friend who's just really optimistic? It, it seems like, it doesn't matter what's going on. They, oh man, no problem. That's going to be great. And man, you leave and you just feel like, hey, that's, yeah, everything's going to be good. And then you have friends who are the opposite, right? You have the friends who are just downers. You know, they're just like, I don't know, man. I don't think you should try that. Why? What do you think? Ah, it's just not going to work. Pretty soon you're just like, I don't know if it'll work. Why? Because I talked to, you know, this guy and he said, it's not going to work. And then you run into the other friend. Oh man, you can do it. No problem. Piece of cake. I can do it. You know, you just change based on who you're hanging out with because they influence you. How does our being with Christ influence us? How does being in relationship with Jesus, how does learning Christ change us? Well, it's supposed to change us to be like him. It's supposed to change us so that we care like he cares, that we love as he loves, that we do as he did. The things that moved him 
are the things that move us. The things that didn't move him are the things that won't move us. And it starts with this understanding, how we learned Christ, how we were taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put your old self off, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. That term, deceitful desires, it's an interesting one. You know, some translation says it's the lusts of deceit. And Paul lays out a, a parallel description of these two selves. So our former life was an expression of our old self, the person we were, and we are to put it off like you would an, an old coat. You're just to put off that old self. And he makes it sound so easy. You know, we are to put it off just as it's easy to identify what it is, discard it like that old clothing. The reason is that it's in a constant state of increasing corruption. In other words, this old way of life is going to continue in its old way of thinking. This old way of life that was detached from Christ is going to continue thinking apart from Christ. Now, it's not just you're going to do bad things. You're going to, you know, sin and commit adultery and you're going to, you know, it's not just those kinds of things. It's you are going to continue living as if Christ isn't a reality to you. That's the idea. The deceitfulness of lust. You're, you're going to keep wanting to live as if that has no effect on who you are. And so now everything else that you desire, apart from the reality of who God is, becomes attractive. Because if Jesus isn't real, if God isn't real and doesn't have a life to give me, well then I'm going to go find my life. And you see, that's deceitful because that's not true. The idea of deceit is you're, you're deceived from something that is genuine. And so if you're living in the deceitful lust, it means you don't see the truth of who Christ is. And so what we need to do is recognize, I have to put that off. I, I recognize who Jesus is. And so I put off that attitude as if he's not there. I put off the attitude as if his life does not influence and affect and change mine. I, I put off the fact that the reality of Christ has an effect on me or doesn't have an effect on me. That's what I need to put off. I need to take it off and put it aside like it's an old coat and something I just take off and I discard it. It brings us to this odd term the lusts of deceit, the old self that deceived by its desires. If it's possible, or it's possible that Paul is simply saying that sin is deceptive, but he mentions it also just in this idea of being tricky in how it affects our thoughts. And he has stressed the truth that we are to both speak and live in this truth. We are supposed to live what is true. Well, we know that Christ is true. 
So I'm supposed to live in the truth of who Jesus is. That's what's supposed to affect my life. In fact, today's passage really begins and ends with this truth, that we are to learn Christ. That's what we've been taught, the truth that is in Jesus, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So truth is really what we're talking about here. What is the truth? Jesus is the truth. Well, what does that mean to me? It means who he is changes who I am. Because he is the Messiah. He has given himself for me. And I can now walk with him. It affects who I am. It affects what I do. And we're in this process of discovering what is inauthentic in ourselves and moving to what is authentic in Christ. There are times in my life where I am, even in my thinking of, you know, well, this is how you're supposed to do things, I I come into these places where I'm acting Christian. You ever been there? Well, I'm just saying the right things. And sometimes I can actually swing the opposite way because I don't want to be a hypocrite. It's like, well, I'm not going to pretend at all. I'm not going to act anything like that. I don't want to be disingenuous. And so I'm so fearful of those things that I just like, I'm not going to act like that because I know disingenuous people who are like that. So I'm going to make sure I don't act like that. But then I catch myself in my pride of disingenuous people. You know, I'm pretty soon it's like, oh, I'm still having to deal with what's inauthentic in me. I'm still having to deal with those areas where there is that pride or there is that stubbornness or there is that ego or there is that lust or there is that hatred. And it shows up in me and I have to recognize this is not who I am. This is inauthentic to what? To Christ and I am in Christ. And I'm moving to the authentic, which is the truth in Jesus. You see, if being a follower of Jesus means anything, it means this, that my life is no longer my own. I've been bought with the price, with the precious blood of Christ. Authenticity is found in in Jesus, who I belong to. And when it shows up in my life and I see those things, I have to give up the old self, the false self, to give up to the illusion that is separated from who the truth is, Jesus. And some of us are living in an illusion that we cannot live the life that God wants us to live. You're going to have struggles, and that's what this whole thing is a part. Speaking of, you're going to have to put off that old self, the inauthentic self, the false self, regularly, daily. It's our journey. And you're going to have to put on the authentic, the real self, Daily. 
It's something that we have to learn. It's something that we have to recognize. Giving up the old, the false self, giving up to the illusions. The the idea of lust tells us where our old self is attached to. The things that we want to hold on to apart from the truth of who Jesus is. That's inauthentic. That's not you. Oh, but it is me. No, that's the illusion. That's the battle. That's the struggle. I've lived that way for so long that I believe it's still me. When I'm training dogs and I'm training a dog that's you know older, nine years old, and I'm trying to get a nine-year-old dog to stop jumping. Well, for nine years, he's jumped. Every time he walked in the house, he's like, yeah, hey, I'm going to jump. And it doesn't just go away. But you start to teach the dog, no, you're not allowed to do this anymore. This isn't the dog you are. You're a well-behaved dog. And every time you don't act well-behaved, I put you in the place. I have the correction that says, wait, that's the old self. I'm not that anymore. And after a while, that nine-year-old dog that's jumped for nine years sees you and says, wait a second, I can't do that anymore, can I? Why? Because he's learned... That's not how I live. We have to learn this isn't how we live. This isn't who we are. That is an illusion that we hold on to. The deceitfulness taking away the truth that is Christ. And he tells us in verse 23... To be made new in the attitude of your minds. I love that. To be made new in the attitude of our minds. Our former manner of life is contrasted with the renewal. Some passages say the spirit of our minds. At one time, our minds thought this way, but now our minds are thinking this way. And the idea here, new in the attitude of your mind, new is is not, it's the word that means fresh. It's the idea of something that is not just like altogether new, but is actually a fresh start. And usually spirit and mind aren't seen or seen as two different parts of a person's life, but perhaps, you know, Paul is referring to the spiritual influence of our thoughts. This renewal is transformed thinking. We are changing how we see ourselves in light of who Jesus is. And if we think the truth about ourselves, that we belong to Christ, the Son of the living God, then it's going to affect our thinking about everything, how we communicate, if we're honest or not, how we treat other people, because it has that kind of spiritual influence 
in us. Putting off the old self is contrasted with putting on the new self, that fresh start. We, we begin again. The corruption with deceitful lust is contrasted with being in God, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, the term here is righteousness and holiness of what is true. It's being created to be like what is true, which is God. And what an interesting thing that he says, being made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self created to be like God. Put on the new self that's created to be like God. The idea of righteousness is right with God. It has the idea of right with God, right with others, right with the world, right with oneself. You are who you are supposed to be. You are in the right place. You are in right standing in your life. Now, how many of us, if I were to say, okay, how many of you here today are in right standing with God, right standing with people, right standing with yourself? How many of you would be just like, oh, I can't say that. I got an argument with my wife earlier today. I can't say that. Man, I just really blew it this afternoon. I was, man, I was angry. I'm not in right standing with God. Oh, I can't. How many times do we say, oh, I can't do that, but you don't realize that, no, that's who you are. And again, if I would think about who I am, it would affect how I act. You're in right standing with God, not because you are so good, but because Jesus put you in that place. You are in right standing with people if you are true to who you're supposed to be in Christ. You are in right standing with yourself if you agree with Jesus on who you are. It's not something you have to clean up. It's not something you have to get better at. And here's the problem. The deceitfulness of those lusts, the the deceitfulness of our, our thinking, the illusion that that isn't true holds us in a prison that we cannot get out of. We are the dog who will not be trained because we refuse to see things as they now really are. And if we had recognized the truth we could start actually thinking different. The word holiness is devotion to God, a life that is formed by God and His will. I want my life to be formed by God, His will, and who I am supposed to be. And it's possible. It is for me to live. And you see, all this is taking place. We, we aren't, you know, I hear Paul saying that the closer you get to the truth, then the more it's going to change you. The closer you get to who Jesus really is, the more it's going to affect who you are. 
Truth isn't just learned and believed, it's lived. It's something that we practice, even as he talked about earlier in the book. Spiritual practices. We aren't transformed if we stay put in our old thinking. We won't change. And sometimes what keeps people from moving forward in their lives is that they refuse to see themselves different. I remember one person, or I heard this, Kareem might have told this to me, and someone who was talking with someone who was struggling with addictions, and they asked, how, how much do you want, or what are you willing to do to change? What are you willing to do to bring about the change? And so what the whole idea was, do you see that change lies with you? Well, I think I need to get rid of, you know, this substance in my system. Oh, sure, that'll help. I think I need to, you know, stop doing these things and to start. Oh, sure, that would help. But do you see that the change needs to take place first in what you want? Before it can show up in what you do. What, what, how bad do you want this? And, and in that idea, if truth isn't just something we, we hear and we learn, but we actually live out, if we're going to be transformed, it's got to be that we see ourselves differently. How, how badly do you want to be righteous and holy before God? Because Paul seems to, to say that you're there. You, you're being made new with the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you want true righteousness and holiness? Do we want that? Is that something I desire? Or do I want to stay where I'm at because I'm comfortable where it's at? You see, we're not going to be transformed if we stay in our same perspective. Honesty is a necessary force in change. I need to be honest with where I'm at. We have to recognize that really if God has given us so much potential... To, to be like God in righteousness and holiness. If, if Christ and the truth of who he is is able to transform who we are, then sometimes we have to stand back and say, the reason I am where I'm at is because this is really where I want to be. And if we're not honest with that, then how are we going to ever change if we won't admit that, you know what, I am holding myself in a place that is not really where I need to be. This isn't working or, or this isn't accurate. Facing our, our conflicted thoughts, our emotions is 
a step toward transformation. We say, okay, I'm struggling in this area. What, what do I have to do to see the change in me? I'm dealing with this. How do I push into the area where I see the truth of what God sees in me? How do I get myself out of where I'm at and to where I know God has called me to be? What are the, the things I need to do to get there? Now, I don't want to be oversimplistic. I know there are struggles that require help from friends. There are struggles that require help from medicine. There are struggles that require uh, help in various ways. But even those areas where you need help, the, the choice has been given to you. See, I know people who will not function without med- medication. But I know the battles that some of those people have had to finally say, okay, I admit it, I need it. And I know some people are like, no, I don't want it, I don't want it. You're going crazy. You haven't slept for seven days, you need something. And finally, when they say, okay, yeah, I need to make the change, then they can step forward into those things. And so I'm not being simplistic, but you see, even people who have these kinds of struggles need to recognize where God wants them to be and they need to recognize the steps that have to get them to that place. There has to be the honesty for there to be that force of change that's going to take place. And what Paul is doing in this passage is helping us to be conscious of the process. We may not have noticed the process before because it was gradual or because you're living in the experience, but there's a a transformation that takes place in how you think about yourself that needs to take place before you can become who you're supposed to be. There's a transformation that has to see where you are in Christ before you can actually get to that place. Because if you never see yourself in the position that God has placed you in, and you will never be good enough to get there. You will never be good enough to get there. And so we have to recognize that there is a change that takes place that begins with how we think about the truth of who Christ is. It's what we're doing now as we're talking about these verses. It's going to stimulate us to maybe think later on. Paul has also brought a light on our inner conflict, right? I mean, we have this inner conflict. We all do. The model he uses here are these two people occupying and fighting over the one mind and the one body. David Arcos, when we did the creativity tour, he called it the inner heckler. We all have the inner heckler. says, you can't do that. Oh, you're not good enough for that. And he he named his inner heckler, and our creativity tour told us, he named his Duggar because it was his fourth grade teacher who used to yell at him. And what it did is it gave him the ability to say, hey, that's not the voice I'm going to listen to. Hey, Duggar, get out of here. And if you recognize that voice that's telling you you are less than what Christ has said you are, then you need to talk sense into yourself. 
I know, it sounds a little psychotic, right? But you see, not every voice in your head is true. Not everything that says something, you have to listen to it. There are voices that are going to condemn you. There is that inner heckler that you need to address and you need to say, no, I don't have to listen to that. And if that voice says to you, yes, but you have always failed, then you can stop and say, you know what? You're right until now. Watch. And you can now take charge because you're dialoguing with that inner voice. I am putting off, I'm putting on. I'm recognizing the struggle and I'm dealing with it. Because that's for us to do. You see, Christ doesn't take off the old self. Christ doesn't put on the new self. That's us. We have to do that. I have to say, I'm not listening to you anymore. You're right up until now. Now watch. See, because that voice that says, you have never been successful might be true up until now. I'm going to take off that voice and I'm going to put on the truth. And it might have been 9, 10, 20, 30 years that I've lived wearing that lie, but I'm not going to wear it anymore. And I'm going to listen to the truth of Christ instead of the voice that is trying to tell me I'm less than who God has made me to be. And and so Paul is bringing light to this inner conflict. He's helping us to see it. And so if you thought you were psychotic before, man, no one else has these voices. Paul's talking to two different people in the same body. The old self, the new self. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? Oh, it's no longer I, but it's Christ. Who is he talking to? He's talking to, again, the idea of what you were supposed to be and who you really are and the conflict that's in there with the two people. And he addresses this in a few places. He addresses it in Galatians chapter 5, Romans chapter 8. Paul contrasts living in the mind of the flesh with the mind of the spirit. It's something that we have to put on the mind of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 3.1, he contrasts this fleshly self with the spiritual self. And it's the sarcotic self and the pneumatic self, the spiritual self. The old self and the new, the true self. See, one of them is a lie. One of these people is lying. Who is it? Which one is lying to you? We're making ongoing progress in the transformation from one person to the other. From the old self to the new self, it's ongoing progress daily. You might have good days, you might have bad days, but do you recognize the struggle and do you recognize where you're supposed to go? Do you recognize who you're supposed to be and what voice you're going to listen to? Because even if our progress seems uneven, and sometimes it might seem rapid, and sometimes it just seems so painfully slow, going back to Peter's response to Jesus' question, 
at Caesarea Philippi. We see that the moment he confessed who he knew Jesus to be, then Peter discovered who he was supposed to be. When Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, that changed who Peter was forever. Peter denied the Lord. Then Peter gave his life for the Lord. But it all was based on the truth of who Jesus is. It is in knowing God that we come to our own identity, our true or our authentic self. It's in knowing God that we know who we are really supposed to be. And so I hope that this week can be a time for us to learn who we are in Christ, that we'll set aside the the thoughts and feelings that will make us less than what we are supposed to be and we'll put on those thoughts and those emotions that move us to who God says we are, that we will take off the condemnation and the, the shame that says you will never and we will put on the words of Christ that says that we can be like God in righteousness and holiness because of who he is. Setting aside all those thoughts and feelings will turn our thoughts towards Jesus. That we can spend time in prayer and ask God to help us to see him clearly. Because if we see him clearly, then we will see who we are supposed to be like clearly. And we can take full advantage of the help that has been given to us, and that's the Spirit of God who desires to renew the spirit of our mind every day. Renew your mind. Have a fresh way of thinking about who you really are. Stop living in a delusion that makes you less than what Christ has made you because the world needs you. Your family needs you. The church needs you to be who Christ has made you to be. And just like Peter, who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and was forever changed because of the truth In that statement, may our lives be forever changed as we recognize the truth that he is the Messiah, the promised one of God, the the word made flesh. And that truth changes everything about who we are. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes the most difficult things in our life are really the struggle with the way we think. Sometimes the the problems that we have been having isn't because of 
the actual physical problems, but it's because of the emotional or the mental problems. Because we have been trapped in our minds. And so, Lord, may these verses, if they do anything, may they provoke us to think about the struggle. May they provoke us to to recognize that daily, hourly, sometimes moment by moment, we have to, to put off and to put on. We have to silence voices and we have to listen to voices. We have to to divide between the truth of who Jesus is and is the image of what we are supposed to be and the lie that we are living. May we at least struggle throughout this week in this battle, in this contention between what is true and and what is false. May we wrestle with what it is to to put on and to, to take off. May we find ourselves talking with you and even talking with ourselves so that we provoke ourselves to listen to your voice, the truth of who you are. May we deny the voice the lie, of the, the duggers or whatever we want to call it. Those voices that will tell us you can't. You're not good enough. You will never. May we be able to see at that moment that all we need to do is take off that coat. Say, You were right up until now. And then take on the new coat. Say, now watch. And may we not be discouraged in our struggles. May we not grow weary from doing what is right. Even as you told us, in time we will receive the crown of life if we do not faint. Lord, I know there are weary people here. I know that some of us are exhausted with this battle. But Father, the truth is we are more than conquerors through you who gives us strength. The truth is that we are in right standing with you because of who you are. The truth is that you have given us your Holy Spirit who is able to bring life to us because of who you are. We might be able to lie about ourselves, but we cannot lie with the truth of who you are. And that greater is he that's in us than he that is in this world. May we hold on to these truths. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.